Hello, you're listening to the Academy Securities Geopolitical and Macro Strategy Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Robinson, and today's episode is a recording from a webinar we held on February 25th, 2022. The webinar focused on the U.S. cyber concerns following the Russian invasion of Ukraine and is moderated by Rachel Washburn with our macro strategist, Peter Chur, and one of our geopolitical intelligence members, Admiral Danelle Barrett. Admiral Barrett served in the United States Navy as the Director of Current Operations at U.S. Cyber Command. Her experience and perspective is incredibly valuable to the current situation in Ukraine. I'll have Rachel start the conversation. Admiral Barrett, maybe I can just go ahead and give the floor to you for how you see the current conflict. What are your biggest concerns, how they impact us as a nation and how we're all interfacing with what is a conflict existing in Europe, but essentially will impact us all. Um, so what we've seen since the, the start of the conflict, particularly Russia has been preparing the battlefield for a while in Russia. When we look at cyber adversaries in the world, um, Iran, Russia, China, and North Korea are, are kind of our biggest nation state concerns with Russia being very sophisticated in their cyber capabilities, offensive and defensive. And so what we've seen since the start of the Russia, the Ukrainian incursion in the conflict is we've seen them go after uh, infrastructure and uh, uh, assets within the Ukraine, both from a technical perspective and a misinformation, disinformation uh, campaign, information warfare perspective. And so what they've done essentially is they've put some uh, disabling malware on systems called a, a hermetic wiper. Um, and it, that was a, a, a malware specifically that attacked systems but didn't propagate sort of like the non-petia that they did a couple of years ago against Ukraine. So that kind of tells you they're trying to contain it within Ukraine. There was a little spillover to some systems in Lithuania and Latvia, but we haven't seen it spread out beyond that yet. Um, and so it looks like they're trying to contain right now what's going on there. Now, increased pressure from sanctions may change that and will likely change that and what their targets will be outside of the Ukraine proper. They also did a de- denial of service attack on uh, Ukraine affecting their Ministry of Defense, several banks, their private bank, which is the Ukraine's largest uh, commercial bank. Um, and they attributed those attacks directly to the spy agency GRU, which is the Russian folks who do all your hacking. So what does that mean for us here in outside of that realm in the United States and in the NATO countries? Um, so while it looks like that they're focusing right now primarily there, the Russians are very sophisticated and they're very interested in the long haul. So they will wait out. So the chances are that they've probably already looked at the landscape, cyber landscape, and put implants where they could get them in. Um, in nations where they have weaker cybersecurity or in systems within nations that may be sophisticated but have weak cybersecurity. So for example, a water treatment plant may have an implant in it we don't even know about right now, but that they could activate their time and choosing. That's the big concern that all the cybersecurity professionals in CISA, the NSA, Cybercom, that's all their big concern is that kind of scenario. Um, And they've shown that they are willing to do that in, in the past. And there's there's different kinds of attacks right now, like attacks that they would uh, that we think they would they would be engaged in would be more disruptive rather than destructive. Um, so a disruptive attack might be a denial of service where you can't get your website or or you can't get to your control systems and, and manage those. A, dis- a destroying it type of attack might be where you reverse pitch on a generator and now you explode a generator or a transformer or something, which would take a lot longer to repair. So we anticipate uh, right now that the kind of attacks you would see initially if they expand outside Ukraine would be more disruptive than destructive. And they would go after things like critical infrastructure, banking, um, uh, uh, 
water treatment plants, electrical plants, transportation nodes, those kind of things. Um, and so all the countries in the world, UK, uh, all the NATO countries, the EU, everybody's in a high alert. And CISA actually, the, the um, information security agency arm of the Department of Homeland Defense put out a shields up um, advisory just two days ago, which has very good advice for the average American who probably won't be the target. It'll be more your, your infrastructure providers. And then for corporates, corporations and CEOs about what they should do about that. One of the other concerns we have is that um, a lot of times cyber attacks are hard to attribute to somebody. Um, you know, because they could hop through multiple nation servers to actually get to you before they get to you, right? It's not like it's a direct one-to-one. -one. And so sometimes it's hard to attribute where did that attack originate from? So if there was a destructive attack that would escalate to an act of war, we'd have to attribute that to Russia. And so, you know, before you could actually retaliate in a similar manner. And that kind of escalation, I don't even think Putin is looking for right now because he doesn't want his infrastructure to go down. We don't want our infrastructure to go down, you know? And so I think that those kind of escalation events uh, are very dangerous. What could cause a, a little wrench in that is that Putin tends to turn a blind eye to cyber criminals who may be doing things on his behalf. Um, so he doesn't, he can have plausible deniability it's not his strategic problem if some cyber criminal attacks the you know the critical infrastructure for New York City's power grid. Um, however, that has huge implications to us and our nation for for everything when that kind of thing happens. So regardless of who does it, um, it could have significant effects to us, even if we cannot retaliate in a similar fashion. The other thing I would just say is from an information warfare standpoint, Americans just need to be very, and everybody outside Ukraine actually, needs to be very conscious of the information that's getting put out there. And you will see uh, Russia do things like set up fake um, government websites where people go and they think they're getting the right information or feed things into, we've seen this through our election uh, misinformation campaigns that they did against us where they feed things into Facebook and Instagram and social media and it just takes off, propagates like wildfire. And they know we are our own worst enemy when it comes to spreading misinformation. They just need to put it out in the right place and it goes like wildfire. So we'll see those kind of attacks. And so what I'll do is I'll just pause right there. Um, and um, I will just say that from a defensive perspective, you've got agencies that are looking at both how to defend our networks. That's like primarily CISA and Department of Homeland Security. And then you have the folks who would look at offensive operations. That would be primarily US Cybercom, NSA, National Security Agency and the, and the Central Intelligence Agency, all of which have different authorities to do covert clandestine, different types of operations in all domains, including cyber. Yeah, that's a very interesting and helpful um, initial overview. I, my first question is, as the situation you know, has escalated and the United States and the Western world and NATO is choosing how to respond and primarily using sanctions as a way to punish and admonish Putin for his invasion, do you see cyber being an extension of that coordinated response? And how aggressive would you would you expect the United States to participate in anything like that if it's on the table? Yeah, I think all elements of national power are on the table. And I can't speak to specifically what President Biden would do offensively. Obviously, that's classified. And, and But I'm sure people have plans for what they would do 
to you know respond to um and and in the response may be in response to something else you know it may not just be a cyber attack in its response to the cyber attack it may be some sort of kinetic attack that elicits a cyber response um so cyber is just one other tool that warfighters have in their toolkit to synchronize with the other traditional lines that we think of for warfare, you know, from maritime warfare to land warfare and information warfare. So it's just another tool in the toolbox. And I would suspect that by, uh, President Biden and his uh, Department of Defense team are looking at all options and how they would synchronize those effects to get the maximum benefit for what they're trying to get. Yeah, Peter, question for you. I think over the years that we discussed cyber risk and how it impacts individual and how it impacts organization, there's a kind of existential element to it where it it's such clear and present danger that sometimes it feels overwhelming and daunting on how to actively and, and very constructively mitigate the risk in an event like we are in right now where there is a war in Europe and cyber warfare is on the table and expected do you feel like the risk is priced in how do you feel like you know market participants are responding um, especially as it relates to potential cyber domestic risk. Yeah, I think in general, I think, you know, companies and everyone's kind of responding as appropriate. They understand this heightened level of risk. I think, you know, from everything we understand talking both to Danelle and some of the other general who are really into cyber is there is this level of coordination. There's a sharing of information. There's this effort to, you know, protect us really from the weakest link. Um, you know, I think one thing, this is maybe a really good time to remind people, and this came up a lot with General Stewart, is that we often tend to think of cyber attacks as a attack in a moment in time. And he brought up when solar winds, right? We only know what we found. We don't know what was planted. We don't know who didn't find what. So that we should be thinking of these as long-term time horizons, that this kind of snapshot view that, oh, we were hacked, we found it, it is over, is not the right way to think about it. It is an ongoing battle. You don't really know what's been left there. So I think everyone's supposed to really go back, dig through their systems, look at that. I think, unfortunately, cyber, it's not quite there with nuclear, but it's one of these things that it's very hard to be priced in because if something happens, depending where it happens, you know, it could be very severe. Um, and that's kind of one question that goes right back, I guess, to Danelle that I want to ask. Is there anything that could turn a cyber hack into a Article 5 declaration for NATO? Is there anything that could be done that all of a sudden, because you mentioned that he's trying to control the spread. So he doesn't want it, I guess, going kind of randomly out in the world, but could something trigger a Article 5 that's purely cyber? Yeah, I do believe it could, particularly if you do a physical, if you do a non-kinetic or cyber attack that results in physical destruction, say of critical infrastructure, uh, you know, the power grid to Berlin. You know, once you start to physically destroy something, now that's escalated to a, an act of war. And so the problem a little bit we have, though, Peter, is that there we don't have cyber red lines and we don't have agreed upon cyber red lines either in the United Nations, the EU, NATO, even in the United States. Like what constitutes, you know, like a nuclear you shoot, we shoot. You know, I mean, there's, there's, there's like, there's, there's red lines, but you know, it's pretty much mutually assured destruction, right? That's kind of what we, we were going at for a long time. But so my point is, we don't have established cyber red lines, and and that's a really hard thing to establish because, like I said, attribution is difficult, and you know, is it a disabling attack? Okay, well, what's proportional response in terms of acts of war to that? 
you know, things have to be proportional in response. And so um, uh, it, it just it becomes very, very hard to determine because as you said, a lot of times, you know, for a sophisticated adversary, you don't even know they're in there probably. You know what I mean? And you won't know until their time in choosing to activate the malware or to laterally move or do something else. And that's the part that becomes, you know, very, very difficult to, to, um, to contend with. And the other piece too is collateral damage in cyber. So someone may do something, it put out some malware or whatever, and now it spreads globally. And maybe that was not the intent, but now that's the result. And now what is the consequence of that? you know, um, as we saw with like NumPetya in 2017, which That's started great. in Ukraine, but then went all over the world, you know. Thanks. That's very helpful. And that does fit the one theme that we've been talking about a fair bit is this, and we saw it really with the pipeline companies hack earlier, I guess last year at this point, um, where you did see that transformation of digital to physical. And as we see that digital attack, which for some reason we seem to ignore digital attacks or don't seem to be as responsive to it. Um, but when it does turn to physical, that's clearly been an extra problem and that it is sad that we don't really have good red lines to figure out how we would deal with it. Um, Admiral Barrett, what do you view as the, uh, what elements of critical infrastructure do you view most at risk at this time in, in uh, the United States? Well, I think they're all at risk, but it's interesting. You know, you can think about um, everything that's been so automated. So a lot of times we focus primarily first and foremost on water transportation and electricity and the banking industry. Those are kind of like the big ones that I see that the most energy goes into to look at. Um, obviously protection of our nuclear facilities and things like that, very high with the Department of Energy as well. But when you think about how automated everything has become, think about, for example, our agriculture. Um, you know, nowadays, uh, my um, niece, has, her husband married a, a dairy farmer and the cows now milk themselves. They walk up to the, the thing when they feel full, a laser looks at their udders, figures out which cow it is, it attaches, cleans things, attaches things, milks the cows, the cows get a little treat and head on the head on the way out and they're gone right but you know think they don't have 100 people sitting around ready to milk cows anymore right so even an attack on on something like agriculture could have huge ramifications to our whole food chain our, our ability to stock shelves um, things like that so the second and third order effects of cyber attacks is sometimes things that aren't well thought out for example after 911 too they they shut down all train trestles so they could check the connective you know make sure there wasn't bombs underneath any of those train uh, bridges and things like that but when they shut that down what they didn't realize was la was within like three days of running out of fresh water because the only way you could move water, chlorine to purify water was via rail at that time. And so people didn't think about that second, third order effect. So sometimes the cyber attack itself on a piece of critical infrastructure, even something that you wouldn't even think of like agriculture could have second and third order effects that cascade very quickly and become very, very chaotic and, and instill fear, instill no confidence in the system, cause chaos, you know, maybe in our even our inability to reinforce, reinforce uh, uh, military forces and movements and things like that. So it goes well beyond just the initial attack a lot of times. Yes, that is such a good reminder. There's a vignette from General Hernandez on our advisory board about um, how much and how effective just information and um, questioning and, and causing a lack of confidence can really create a cascading impact for what is a minor cyber incursion, but major impact. Um, yes, that is such an important point. Um, just one more question before we uh, take some questions from the audience. 
one of the interesting um, bit of insight that we've gotten from our different um, advisory board members that uh, have deep cyber expertise is around how they view different malign actors that are very equipped in the cyber landscape, how they view um, their tactics, their psychology, and how they engage in cyber warfare. You know, Iran is often described as pretty per destructive, while maybe others more calculated. How do you view Russia's approach to cyber warfare? How sophisticated are they? How tactical and strategic are they? And um, do you view them at this time willing to be a little reckless? Um, I would view them, I would characterize them as very sophisticated, um, very capable, and um, reckless. I, I don't, I wouldn't consider them to be reckless. I would consider them to be calculating. Um, uh, they're, they're, they know the, the implications for um, escalation, um, but they are also masters at information warfare. So let's not forget part of cyber is information warfare and misinformation. And they seem to really kind of kick our butt, I'll be honest with you, on their ability to influence, really negatively influence or get people all rallied around something that's completely untrue, but can, can cause chaos for us and can cause a lot of disruption, even in, like you said, confidence and other things. And, um, and so I think that the combination of their ability to technically conduct a cyber attack um, you know, that might disrupt or eventually destroy something which would be an act of war, um, coupled with their ability to do misinformation, disinformation, information warfare is what makes them very, very capable adversary and somebody that we, uh, it's a cat and mouse game. You know, you're, you're constantly going to have to, and you have to assume the worst. You have to assume, for example, if you're president of a bank and your network's acting a little weird, that's not just an IT problem. You have to assume it's a cyber problem until you prove otherwise. And sometimes it's hard to prove that negative, but people need to be that paranoid, frankly. Yeah, and can I just do one quick follow-on to that? I've been watching a little bit of this, and it seems that Ukraine has actually maybe been more defense than thought. And it seems like Ukraine's actually doing a decent job kind of hacking back at Russia. And you know, when you on social media, there seems to be a lot of positive information about Ukraine. Are, is Ukraine better at this maybe than we thought, or is that just kind of my imagination? Well, what's interesting is um, Ukraine, uh, one of their leading cybersecurity firms the other day um, came out and said that they were getting the Ukraine hacking community um, to help them with this effort. And that they that the Ministry of Defense, that government actually asked for their assistance. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that's what the report kind of came out with. But it was really interesting that they're leading um, uh, cyber, it's called Cyber Unit Technology is the company run by the CEO, Yuber Oshev, I think his name is. But anyway, he says he was asked by the senior military defense official to, to get, um, you know, Ukrainian hackers uh, underground to help them protect their critical infrastructure and to, you know, start causing chaos for the Russians. So I think uh, their government is probably looking for any and all available help at this time. I mean, we see this now, even just with the kinetic uh, situation over there, they're, they're, they're calling up every possible male up to be part of the army, even older people. I mean, you know, they are kind of in a big reactive mode right now. And I suspect cyber is getting wrapped up in that as well. A question from the audience that uh, dovetails nicely with the previous question. How would you describe the United States capabilities um, when it, in the cyber realm or where do we line up? Um, I would say we're very sophisticated too, and I'll just leave it at that. I mean, it, you know, if if 
you kind of have to assume if, if you're doing something against somebody else, they can do something against you and, and similar back and forth. So um, I, I would say we are we are very, very sophisticated and um, have a lot of you know infrastructure that we've had for years that help us, you know, with the NSA, for example, and their ability to gather intelligence and help us. And so, and we have huge intelligence agencies that help determine, okay, what, what does that mean? Um, we have uh, a functioning military that has trained over 6,000 people to be part of cyber units that specifically focus on these types of missions and things like that under the Cyber National Mission Force, which is run by United States Cyber Command. So I think there's all sorts of uh, things already in place that that have been there for years, frankly, um, that help us with this fight. Yeah, it's definitely encouraging. And then we've seen uh, another question from the audience. We've seen the administration announce that offensive cyber action is on the table for us. Uh, speaking of information as a weapon, what what's your view of making that sort of announcement? Is that, a, is that a effective? Um, do you see that as an, like a threat, an indicator, or just more kind of information warfare? No, I mean, I think it's important to say it, but I think people know it too. I mean, it's not like Putin's like, oh yeah, they're not going to do cyber unless they say they are. I mean, you know, that's not, that's not how it works. Right. But so, but I think to acknowledge that all elements of warfare, all elements of our national power, all including economic sanctions and different things, everything is on the table. You know, I think the only thing president Biden has said is we're not putting troops on the ground in Ukraine to fight boots on ground, but I think everything else is open. And, you know, there's things that, you know, the U.S. could do. I mean, we could help to disrupt the internet in Russia. That's been discussed as an option. You know, there's shutting off power and rail so that they can't reinforce those troops that they've sent to the front. So there's things that, um, you know, the United States could do should they decide that that's, those are steps that they need to take to de-escalate the situation or to cause chaos within Russia. And, and certainly, in this landscape, hackers get a vote. We've seen the, uh, you mentioned the uh, anonymous hacker group declaring war on Russia. How effective those, are those third party kind of independent actors in disrupting this space? Well, they, they're smart and they could be, well, some of them are super smart and they can be super disruptive. But the problem with that too is what if, what if they can't control what happened? You know, what if the malware they put out now propagates throughout the world and now everybody's power grid has a problem? I mean, you know, that's the problem with the uncontrolled um, hacking is that it's not uncontrolled. You know, it's, it, I mean, it's not controlled. It's, you know, they don't know what they don't know sometimes about what could happen. Now, again, they're very, very capable hackers. We see it all the time at, at, at hackathons and we do bug bounties in the government where we get these guys to come in and check our networks because, you know, we, we know they have different skills and different ways of checking things that maybe we don't. And so, um, but my point is that, the problem with hackers is, you know, they're, they're not taking orders from anybody. They're not subject to Geneva conventions or rules of law or rules of engagement or military, anything or government, anything. They're, they're essentially criminals. I mean, as much as they may be helping us air quotes, they're essentially conducting criminal activity by attacking someone's network. And so, um, anyway, it's just, it's a complicated problem. While it sounds really great and juicy to have, you know, hack, activists going after something for us, that could quickly spiral into a big problem. Peter, um, before I ask Admiral Barrett to close this out, any kind of final thoughts? Yeah, I think this is something that regardless of what happens in the coming days or weeks, we really have to get our act together in terms of what are we able to do? What are our responses supposed to be able to do? What are our red lines? Because this problem is just getting bigger and bigger every time we have any sort of friction with a nation. 
and it's very quickly seems to be becoming, you know, difficult to imagine what to do, what are our offensive capabilities, and that's probably the thing that scares me most about this entire conversation is we still seem to have very much a policy of deterrence and have very little willingness or something to be aggressive and shut these people down, uh, you know, maybe even before they act. And that to me is, it's so different than anything else we do, whether it's in the military or policing. And that's a problem that just doesn't seem to get addressed and is getting as far as I can tell, worse and worse. The thing is we have some really brilliant people that are working those, those are tough problems. And a lot of them are policy problems and government problems and things like that. We have some really brilliant people working it from General Nagasoni at Cybercom to Chris Ingalls, who's the president's cybersecurity advisor who spent years and years at NSA. So these guys are very smart and very um, uh, understanding of this whole, what, what the art of the possible is in terms of offensive and defensive operations. And so we just have to help support them and help them get, you know, support them in getting policies and things in place that will, will give us a little bit more structure to how we can respond and to preempt, preemptively prevent these kind of things as best you can. I mean, it's, it's never, never going to be perfect for sure. Thank you, Admiral Barrett, Peter Chur, Rachel Washburn, for your contributions to this conversation. And thank you to our listeners as well. Academy Securities is a service-disabled, veteran-owned investment bank with a social mission to mentor, hire, and train military veterans to develop careers in finance. I'm your host, Andrew Robinson, and I look forward to speaking with you again soon.